title of my, my sermon um, is God's Peculiar Love. God's Peculiar Love. And I'll tell you, tell you what this means later and give you a little insight on, on what that title means. But um, I wanted to start off my, my message with a, with a short, uh, small testimony of uh, how God has been working in my life uh, lately. And um, I'm from Tunnelia, Arizona. I'm married to wonderful wife for 19 years and I was raised in a Christian family and for a long time I attended church there in Red Lake and that's where I was saved and we serve now at Tuba City First Baptist here. Um, my childhood wasn't always easy and I was raised by a single parent. Um, I was lived off uh, commodity food. Um, there was drinking and violence in the home and as far as back as I could remember um, my my mom and older siblings went through very hard times, and I was a witness to a lot of that. I grew up a, a majority of my life without my father, without my dad. I didn't know, you know what, what it meant to have a dad or how it felt. Uh, I never learned some of the supposed things you, you, you should have learned as a young man at that age. You know, things like throwing a ball or going fishing or... Even how to treat a lady, um, manners, and um, most mostly, I didn't have a proper role model to teach me to be a man. You know, I always I always say a man always needs a bigger man to look up to. Uh, a majority of my my young life, I never had that. Till my un my older brother stepped in, Arnold. God used him in mighty ways in my life. And I'll tell more about that later. Um, I struggled through high school and began to experiment with drugs and alcohol and relationships. I graduated and uh, went to college. It was, it was then I went into a spiral out of control. I went to college with some pre-existing conditions. I had depression. And that became worse. I had anxiety, and that became worse. I had lack of self-esteem, and that became worse. I had anger harbored within me, and that became worse. I struggled with addiction, and that became worse. To make a, a long story short, one year while I was in college, I was incarcerated for drunk driving. And this was for the second time. By this time, I had lost my driver's license. Uh, I lost my job. I lost my girlfriend. I was kicked out of my apartment. Um, I got into a fight with my best friend. I had court fines to deal with. I was at the end of my rope, so to speak. Uh, I laid her in the, in the musty jail downtown Flagstaff on a top bunk. Um, the fluorescent lights I can remember buzzed above me and flickered and the guy under me was shaking and throwing up and crying. It was so hot, it was so uncomfortable. I just covered my head with my fire blanket. It was then I remembered my brother Arnold's words. He said, 
when you come to a time when you think God <clears throat> can never help you and you come to the end, let me tell you, He can still help you. And it is not the end, He said. I remembered all the words He preached to me all those years. Um, I may, may not have looked like I was listening, um, but I was. And if I remembered it now, then it must have been listening. And it must have been true. Then I remembered also the story of Jesus. God in the flesh coming to earth and dying on the cross. And then rising from the dead three days later. When, and when he was on that cross, just before he took his last breath, he muttered these words. It is finished. I never knew the meaning of those words, but as I later on that bed, in that jail, it hit me. Jesus' death was good enough to cover my sin. Every sin I have committed and every sin I will commit. And that this was not the end of my life. And it was, I was still alive and breathing. And that as long as I was still alive, God could still use me and give me a fulfilled life. When he was there on that cross and said, it is finished, it meant that the work was done. It was done for me. He lived that perfect life for me. I didn't, I didn't have to be perfect. I don't have to earn my way into heaven. He did that for me. You know, I had given God a million reasons not to love me. But none of them changed his mind about how, he, how much he loved me. And as I shivered from the sweats of alcohol poisoning there in that bed, I prayed for God to save me. And that if he really was there and loved me, that he would use me. I went to sleep that night in peace, ready for the judge the next day. <clears throat> but I wanted to share... Um, about the power of the cross this morning for this Resurrection Sunday. When I say the cross throughout my sermon, I mean Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I mean Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection when I say the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Back in this day, the Greeks saw nothing of use in the gospel of Jesus. They were philosophers, they were talkers, and nothing in the gospel message appealed to their pride and knowledge. These Greeks, to the world, there was no use for the cross. It was foolish. But to us, right, it's different today. We see the cross as the center of the story of Scripture. Not only that, the cross inaugurates the new covenant. It's the ultimate dispensation. That word dispensation basically means how God deals with mankind. Before Christ's death, God dealt with people in a certain way through, through the law of Moses. God sent the law to help us realize there is nothing that we could ever do to be good enough to get into heaven. That's Moses' Ten Commandments and the other laws he sent. 
that it is impossible to follow. But he sent that law to help us realize our need for a Savior. And that's Jesus. I want to talk about four reasons why the cross is powerful. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's what I mean by the cross. One, through the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death. 1 Peter 2.24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. Sin. You know, we can't help but to sin. And we have become slaves to it. It has become our master. <clears throat> Jesus made a way to escape this bondage when he died on that cross and he resurrected. But when he died on the cross and rose again, he defeated sin where we are no longer under its dominion or power. And death. Second Timothy 1.10 says, and now, which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Lord Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And first, uh, in John 14, 19, here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's headed to the cross and he's telling them, you got a rough time ahead of you. He says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Here Jesus was talking about his resurrection. And his resurrection is the first of many. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, Those who are in Christ will also be resurrected in the end. So Christ Jesus' resurrection was the first one to happen. And you know what? If we believe in Him, if we become believers, if we become Christians, we also will follow that. We also will be resurrected when Jesus returns again one day. So through the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death. Wow! Also, um, number two, the cross is the power of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for everybody. The gospel, the cross, is God's means of salvation. It is where God's power lies. The Bible in, in Romans 1, 1-4 says, Paul a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son, who is born a descendant of David according to the flesh, was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus our Lord. Because of his resurrection, because of his resurrection, that is where the power lays. You know, the gospel, the cross, is the center of God's story in the Bible. And furthermore, without the resurrection, I would still be in my sins. There would be no hope. <laughs> Three, the cross showed God's justice. 
The Bible teaches that sin is lawlessness. First uh, John 3, 4 says, Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. We, we, we all need direction. We need accountability. We need a moral standard. Otherwise, we would self-destruct. God should be our moral standard. He should be your moral standard. God is holy and can't overlook sin. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their, by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In God's eyes, sin has to be dealt with and has to be paid for. You know, the cross was a perfect picture of God's perfect holiness when He allowed His perfect Son to die on it for us. Wow. So through the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death. The cross is the power of God. The cross showed God's justice. And lastly here, the cross showed God's love. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrate His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We all need love, right? We want happiness. We look for love. Like that song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. We want love. We want validation. Why, why, why is Facebook so popular today? Facebook is the most popular application on the planet today. To date, uh, Facebook has almost 2.5 billion users. 2.5 billion. Let, let's wrap our minds around that number. Uh, sometimes we can't realize how big that number is. 2.5 billion is 2,500 millions. Why? That is so many people that are on this social media website. Why is it so popular? It's because people want to be loved. People want to be wanted. You know what? Through the cross, God showed His agape love. That's unconditional love for us. If you're looking for love, God can give you love. You can find that love that you need that you want in God. And the key to that love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's nothing lovable about us, <laughs> right? There's nothing inherently lovable about me, James. <laughs> you can tell. I can ask my wife. No. <laughs> but God chooses to love me. My wife chooses to love me. That's an, an unconditional love says, I love you no matter what. So that goes back to the message, to the title of my message, God's Peculiar Love. 
That's God's peculiar love. Or we could say it's God's novel love. That the novel love of God. You know that the coronavirus, they call it the novel coronavirus. Why? Because it's nothing we've ever experienced before. It continues to baffle scientists and doctors. God's love also is like nothing we have ever seen. Nothing we have ever heard or felt before. It's a love that's unheard of. We are not familiar with it. It is literally out of this world. That's why when I heard of God's love, I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't believe it. So how can it be? How can God still love me even though He knows me? He knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. I'm still learning to understand it this day. But what I do know is that God loves me no matter what. You know, although God saved me, life continued on. And because this world is a falling world, you know, life continues on in hardship, right? We all know that. As believers in Jesus, we, we still struggle. <clears throat> we still struggle with sin. We can still get depressed. We can doubt. We can still get angry. We can still get sick. We can still die. But God tells me in His Word, from now on, you will never be alone in any of this. Jesus spoke about two realities in life in John 16.33. So you have your Bibles turned to there, John 16.33. And here Jesus is talking to His disciples. And His disciples had no idea that Jesus was about to head to the cross, was going to the cross. And Jesus said to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In, this, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Okay, so... Jesus spoke about two realities in this life here, in this verse. Number one, you will have trouble. We will have hardship. We will have trials. We live in a fallen world. There is sin in this world. As we know today, He warned the disciples that they would experience persecution as a result of their faith. You know, we too will have trouble as a result of our faith, as, you know, as a result of our fallen world. We will have sickness. We will have despair. We will have oppression. We will have doubt. We will have sickness. We will have death. That's one reality Jesus spoke about. Number two, we will find peace in Him, He said. In that verse, He says, So that in me you may have peace. Though we will have trouble, though we will have hardship in this life, He says, You know what? You will have peace in me. But notice that it says, In me. A relationship with Him is what gives the peace. 
And I want to encourage you here, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you want peace right now, we need to believe on Him. You know, the death, burial, and resurrection, the cross of Jesus Christ brings hope. One truth I've learned that has changed my life and the way I think about trials is the cross. You know, Jesus went through so much at the cross. He was beaten. He was falsely accused. All those who were closest to him abandoned him. As he got closer to Calvary, the crowds grew smaller and thinner and thinner because it got too hot for them. And ultimately, he experienced death and was buried. And most of all, Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? God the Father literally turned his back on Jesus and looked the other way as his son bore the sins of the world. So Jesus, in a true sense, was truly alone for those moments in, in, in history. But this brought me comfort. How? In my darkest moments and difficult times, I look to the cross because number one, God, I know God loves me enough because he put, he allowed his son to get on that cross. He loved me enough to put his beloved son, allow his beloved son to die on that cross. Number two, God allows freedom but maintains his control. It says in the Bible, he was, Jesus was crucified at the hands of angry men. God allowed these men to murder and crucify Jesus. And the key word is allowed. God maintained control throughout this whole ordeal. Three, God can use the worst for eternal good. <clears throat> Back in this time, nobody saw what God was doing. It was a terrible, terrible time. All their hopes and dreams of Jesus overtaking the government, the Roman government, all of that was, was down the drain. But God used this terrible event for eternal good. Number four, the last one, God sees the bigger picture. That comforts me. He sees clearly when we can't. He understands when we can't understand. You know, during the cross, when Jesus was crucified, it was a terrible event. But it produced beautiful results. God saw the bigger overall picture that the disciples could not see, that the, that the Romans could not see, that his mother could not see. Our lives have been changed drastically today. Turned upside down by this COVID-19. Everything we knew that was normal is gone. Some of us lost our jobs. Some of us that still have our jobs have been reassigned somewhere else. And now we're working double time. We can't visit and hug our family members anymore. 
There's uncertainty. There's anxiety. How will I pay rent? How will I buy food? What will the next few months look like? You know, we've been shaken and taken out of where we were comfortable. But do you know what? I think God has us right where He wants. God has us exactly where He wants. There's this um, quote I wrote. Here, I'm going to read it to you. It says, God is turning the hearts of fathers and mothers back to their families during this crisis. Too many times have we allowed our busyness to take precedence over our families. Our jobs have become our second homes. We have given schools the responsibility of teaching our children. Our churches have taken away our sole responsibility of discipleship. We wonder why the family unit has become so dysfunctional. It is because we have abandoned one another and God. I pray revival happens. And no, not a revival. Not at a church. Not at a, re not at a revival, but at home. Beginning with our hearts. I pray fathers will teach. I pray mothers will nurture. And that our children will heed their instruction. God has taken away the things which have entangled and distracted us for so long. The things which have taken the thrones of our hearts. Work. Sports. Social events. Bars. Casinos. Even church on Sundays. May marriages be renewed, families be restored, and above all, our relationship with God be reconciled. Amen. Now I wanted to give you a couple of verses. If, if, if this, any of this that I said, things that I said today have struck you. Um, you might be saying, I consider myself to be a good person. Won't that be enough to get to heaven? The Bible says in Romans 3, 10 through 12, says, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. You might say, Ah, oh, my sins isn't really a big deal. It's, it's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin... Is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. It says the wages of sin is death. We all work. Some of us, most of us work. We earn a wage when we work throughout the day and, for, and do those hours. That's a wage. We earn our money. But in the context of this verse, it says, because of our sin, we have earned death. And that is eternal separation from God. So yes, our sin is a big deal. My sin is a big deal. Your sin is a big deal. Now you might say, well, my sin is really bad. Well, is there hope? Yes. <laughs> Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Yes, there is hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Our sin is bad, yes. It's terrible. 
But Christ's death and his blood can cover that sin and clean that sin. Okay, how can I be saved? All right, yeah. Uh, you convince me. My sin is bad and I need Jesus. How can I be saved? Romans 10, 9 through 13. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for anyone. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we just need to call upon Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I need you. I believe that you died. I believe you were buried. I believe you were resurrected. I believe in you, Jesus. Save me. You know what? The Bible says that that is a guarantee. That if you do that from the bottom of your heart, you will be saved. I wanted to share this one last thing with you before I go today. Is that you matter. You matter. There is only one you in all of history since the beginning of time. There, there has never been another exactly like you. There will never be another again. You are unique, my friend. The first and the last of your kind. You are an, a limited edition that is more rare than the finest diamonds. You are an extraordinary being, distinct from all creation and incomparable to anything in the universe under God. Everything was made for a purpose. But not everything was made equally, okay? Now everything else was just made. Speaking of animals, creation, the mountain, the stars, the universe. But you, my friend, the Bible says you were wonderfully and fearfully made. And from the depths of the womb, you were knitted together meticulously by God. From the moment you read or from the moment you heard me say you matter, God has thought of you, you know, at least a million times. Today, you might be one in seven billion people, but to God you count as if you're one of one, one out of one. My friend, you are valuable, irreplaceable, worthful, beautiful, and loved. You matter. So as, 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 as I wrap up my sermon, my, my, my uh, time today, you know, death dies today. Death has no more power over us anymore. We don't have to fear it. Find life in Jesus now. And I'll go ahead and say a word of prayer before I end. And if you have any um, questions or uh things that you want to um, ask about how I can be saved, reach out to your to your local pastors or reach out to even us um, here at Tuba City First Baptist Church. Thank you. Your God, we thank you for this wonderful um, 
message of the cross and the gospel, uh, your death, burial, and resurrection is 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 the epicenter. It is the apex of our belief, and without it, there is no hope, and we are still in our sins. I pray we understood that simple message today. There's no eloquence. There's no philosophy. There's no high knowledge. It's just Jesus. That's the answer. And I pray we all understood that today. And I pray that those of us who might be struggling with some sickness or anxiety or depression or uncertainty today can find some comfort in the cross. And maybe even be saved today. Thank you, Lord, for, for, for your faithfulness and for loving me despite everything I do, my sin, despite what I did in the past, despite what I do today, despite what I do tomorrow. Thank you, God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.